This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. G'day everybody, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. It's great to have you here for another episode uh, today and a really good one I've got coming up. I'm talking to Joe Edlington and now uh, he's J.E. Wilds on Instagram, so j.e.wilds. Um, you may not have heard about Joe, but I tell you what, he is a guide in New Zealand and really makes some fantastic, and I might add very fantastic, uh, cinematic videos for YouTube on his hunting. So I presume some of these, a lot of some of his clients, obviously some of himself as well, uh, and some of his friends out hunting in New Zealand. Now, I really wanted to get to hunting in New Zealand probably over the next couple of years, but with all the COVID shit going on and, you know, it's just been, a, I think most of us can agree, it's been an extremely bad year um, from the fires in the East Gippsland all the way up into New South Wales, uh, then being struck by COVID-19. Uh, it definitely hasn't been a good year of doing anything this year. Um, most people have been locked down. Most people haven't been able to hunt. And I've noticed a lot of people have been on the internet and I guess they get their fix by watching YouTube videos of other people hunting. <laughs> which is basically the next best thing uh and joe i must admit does a fantastic job i did have his girlfriend obviously they weren't dating at the time but i did have his girlfriend uh catherine trevillian on my show uh several years ago and uh lovely gal as well loves her hunting as well um so they're obviously a, a fantastic pair so if you want to check him out go to j.e.wilds on instagram and if you want to check him out on YouTube, you can just go to J.E. Space Wilds on YouTube and check out uh, his videos. Let me just say, guys, absolutely fantastic. Very, very well put together and uh, certainly very, very enjoyable. So tonight we're going to talk about everything, really. We're going to talk about hunting in New Zealand, guiding. We're going to talk about filming YouTube videos. We're going to talk about some gear and equipment. You know, I do like to film myself on the odd occasion when I get the opportunity. I've sort of been lazy in the past in, in trying to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. And I love watching good, especially well-thought-out and well-planned videos. And there's a lot of people these days that are really making some fantastic content uh, for the internet. And, um, you know, I, like I always urge everyone to go out there and support them. You know, if they've got Patreon, throw a bit of money behind them because the, some of this content is just... It's just, we can't let it go. And I've seen too many people come and too many people go because it's just not worth them to put the effort in. And uh, I think we need to support, instead of supporting, you know, mainstream media and all that crap out there, you know, throw a few bucks behind, you know, your, your people on the internet, YouTubers, Instagrams, whatever it may be, keep them going. Because uh, I think that's what it's all about. Of course, as usual, I want to thank all my Patreons because without you guys, I couldn't do what I do. If you want to get all the podcasts in advance of everyone else, you certainly can. Patreon.com forward slash AHP. I never take it for granted because, you know, I'll be brutally honest, guys, if I didn't have my Patreon supporters, I would have given this up probably two to three years ago. So it definitely makes it worthwhile. While most people know you don't make a million dollars, uh, it certainly helps to keep the show going, upgrading equipment and 
especially on this mixer that I'm sitting right in front of now. And uh, it's been really fantastic. I want to thank you guys for purchasing that for me because it was your money uh, that got me this equipment. So again, I want to say thanks to everybody on Patreon. Uh, of course, the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, you can also email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's a lot of different ways you can listen to the show. People always ask me and I try and always tell people on social media. Uh, of course, you can listen to it on iTunes. You can listen to it on the website. You can listen to it on Podbean. Uh, we're also on Stitcher. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts as well. I mean, there's no reason why you should be not listening, guys, to the number one show in Australia. Ten years we've been doing this and uh, getting lots of support. Thank you to all the people that left comments on iTunes, especially over the last month or so. I really appreciate that. So if you do like the show and you are on iTunes, I'd love it if you could rate five stars. And, you know, tell me what you like about the show. Leave me a comment. I love reading them. I normally read them out on the show. Uh, We're still going to be doing that again once I get enough questions and discussions. We're probably going to be doing a show like that. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just enjoying just getting back to uh, interviewing hunters and shooters and, and people within the industry. I've just been enjoying that, you know, giving the politics a little bit of a miss at the moment. Again, I'm not saying we're not going to do that. We are going to do the straight shooting. We are going to be talking about different topics as well. And like I always say, if you don't like certain things, there's plenty of shows on this platform that you can listen to that might spark your interest, whether it's hunting, whether it's shooting, whether it's the politics, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, I'm sure we've got you covered because we do absolutely everything. And, um, you know, that's what I originally wanted to do, guys, when I did this show. I didn't just want to make it one particular topic because I knew after a while it's going to be difficult to keep getting guests of, of the same situation, whether it's, you know, just shooting or whether it's you know, just talking about something very, very specific within the shooting community, you know, and that's what people like about it. I get emails all the time saying, man, you got such a varied library that they just love listening to it. And, uh, you know, that's great to hear. And I love talking to different people from different countries and, and different, I just, I don't know, hard to explain, I guess. But uh, in March next year, it'll be a decade of podcasting. I mean, can you believe it? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And thank you for all the people that supported the show, that listen to the show, that share it. You know, I really couldn't do it without you guys. But I think without further ado, I've got to get in. I've, I really have to go to New Zealand one day and do some shooting. Uh, I, just, I just see my, my body fat percentage and I see those hills in New Zealand and I'm like, man, I've got to get it... <laughs> I've really got to start, really start hitting the hills. You know, I've gotten a bit fitter over the last probably couple of months in COVID, just doing, you know, walking and doing a bit of sort of pack stuff, just putting my pack on a little bit, putting a bit of weight in it, just to adding a bit extra. And that seems to be helping the body, get the body moving, opening up the hips, get everything moving. Um, but as soon as I hit the hills, <laughs> I just start breaking down. And these aren't even hills, so um, not compared to New Zealand anyway. But uh, anyway, we'll leave it there. We'll get into the interview with Joe Edlington from JE Wilds. All right, Joe, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for accepting my offer, mate, to come on the show and have a bit of a chat about, mate, everything really, you know, hunting in New Zealand, filming hunts in New Zealand, uh, all of the above, how you got into hunting. So thanks for joining me, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, mate. Good to talk to you. So how's it going in Aussie at the moment? you got a bit hectic over there at the moment, aren't you? Mate, yeah, it's not. I feel sorry for like in my state. I'm in Sydney, mate, so it's not going. Uh, it's okay, it's actually pretty decent in New South Wales. But if you uh, head down to Victoria, which I think Catherine's in, it's uh, yeah, not too good down there, mate. Unfortunately, a lot of you know, it's. Uh, I think Victoria for COVID deaths right now is about you know, with all other states in Australia combined, in Victoria is about a thousand percent higher than all other states combined. So it's really not good for the poor buggers down there. 
especially all the people that want to go hunting. They're all stuck at home. Mate, gun shops are going arse end out, so to speak, financially. It's uh, Yeah, I really hope they get things sorted down there as soon as possible. Oh, this is crazy, man. There's a lot of people that want to come over here, including Catherine. So we need this to sort itself out so these flights can open up, man. Hey. Yeah, I know. Hey, and speak before we even get started, mate, how's that affected, um, you know, hunting in New Zealand? I mean, outfitters, guides. I mean, you've done a bit of guiding as well, which we'll talk about a bit later as well. How's that affected the the, the industry in, in New Zealand? Well, to be honest, it, it basically it basically came to a screaming halt. Uh, I think it was uh, March the 14th. I was actually guiding right up until the day of our our major lockdown here in New Zealand. And um, I'm pretty sure it was March the 14th, but basically we went into full lockdown. So the borders completely closed, all flights stopped, and um, the hunting industry came to a screeching halt. So as you can imagine, there's pretty much all the outfitters, all the guides, there's been a lot of guides laid off throughout the country, all the outfitters have sort of gone into hibernation. Um, Pretty much the hunting industry, the international hunting industry has come to a stop. And obviously, that's not going to get back into play until the borders open up. So, mate, she's, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future with that one. Exactly. And you guys have, I don't know where, I haven't looked at it for about probably four or five days now, but, um, you know, I follow politics fairly, fa- fa- you know, quite a fair bit. And um, I know, you know, COVID read its head above there and they've put back the election because obviously after, you know, we won't go into that part of it, but what happened in Christchurch a couple of years ago, I'm sort of very keen to, to find out what happened with those, you know, what's going to happen to those bastards at New Zealand first, mate, selling out shooters over there in New Zealand, treacherous bastards. So hopefully, mate, they're not going to be in parliament come the next couple of years we'll, we'll see oh uh, yeah i don't know that's right i don't i don't know if we if we even want to go down that path <laughs> <laughs> mate just we'll, we'll start with um i guess just tell us about yourself mate um yeah just uh yeah how you got into hunting growing up in new zealand where you're from in, in nz and yeah we'll start there all right so yeah i'll introduce myself my name's joe edlington um i sort of go by the name j.e wild uh that's I guess you call that my stage name. Um, I'm a hunting guide, and I'm also a a wilderness cinematographer. So uh, pretty much for the last 10 years, I've been um, doing guided hunts. And um, in amongst that time, I've been filming hunts as well. But in the last couple of years, sort of four to five years, I've been transitioning more into the filming side of it. So the guiding has taken a slight back step. But basically, mate, um, the first half of my year is hunting every day um, with international clients generally. So we get a little bit of hunting done over here in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, you know, when you – how did you get into guiding, though? What was the you just love of hunting and thought, oh, well, the next best thing is getting into guiding? And is there a bit of a – a bit of a disparity between, you know, like hunting for, for pleasure and then saying, well, you know, I do this for a job. Does it does it take the varnish off, I guess, when you go out for a hunt yourself or does it matter if you're hunting for yourself or your clients, it's still a great experience? Yeah, no, there's, um, there's probably quite a lot of things to say about this, but um, so guiding for me, how it all started is is obviously growing up with, you know, me and my mates and stuff, we're, we're going out, we're hunting, for some reason, I was always the one that was sort of saying, all right, guys, let's go down this ridge and let's sit here and glass across this face. And I guess um, naturally I started to become a guide to my to my mates and, and 
and year after year, I was roaring in stags. I was guiding stags for the boys and getting animals, and you know we were, we were doing it all. But I was basically guiding my mates, and everyone was telling me, "Man, you should be a hunting god. You should be a hunting god." And I guess, um, I guess over time, I sort of figured, "Yeah, maybe I, maybe I should, maybe I do want to do that." But the problem is, you can't just decide to be a hunting god. There's, um, it's quite a niche market to get into. So I sort of, for a few years there, I, I battled. Um, with myself, I was sort of guiding the odd person. I actually guided a few international guys, and then, um, I, and then, all of a sudden, uh, a, a good friend, Gerald Fluidy, who actually owns a, a guiding company here in New Zealand, Wildside Hunting Safaris, he said, "Hey, Joe, why don't you come down and, um, you know, do a bit of guiding for me this season?" So obviously, I jumped at the at the chance, and and. It was awesome, man. Like I remember that that first trip. I was guiding a bow hunter. We had had an awesome time. It was um, it was such a good time and and just great hunting. And I thought, yeah, I could do this. I I really want to do this. So, yeah, that was that was basically how it started properly. Um, like I said, I'd done a few guides previous, but that was the the proper real deal guides. And um, and mate, so I didn't look back from then on. I sort of had a lot of opportunity through Gerald and, and learnt a lot. And um, yeah, it was a good it was it was a good start of my career for sure. And and I was with Gerald and, and family for a long time. And and basically they are like family to me now. Um, we've had we've had some awesome awesome experiences. I've done a lot of the shows in the states. You know, um, a lot of the big hunting shows with Wildside. So um, yeah, that that one. Uh, you know, Gerald asking me that in those early days led to a lot of things for me. Yeah, and when you're growing up in New Zealand, it seems, I mean, Australia definitely very, very different than New Zealand. So a lot of people, you know, don't like, you know, not big fans of hunting over here per se, um, especially people from the city, as we most know, probably similar to New Zealand in that respect as well. But, you know, you seem to have a, uh, New Zealand has a great heritage of hunting, I think, a lot more accepted than, you know, here in Australia. But when you were growing up, you know, was that something your friends were into? How did you get into it? Was it a family tradition? Was it, you know, your brothers? Or how did you actually, what was the catalyst? What was that one thing where someone got you into, you know, this hunting lifestyle? Um, yeah, I think definitely as a kid, I just always wanted to do it. Um, I was always out there. I remember early, early on, I, I talked my parents into actually buying me an air rifle for one of my birthdays. So I had this slug <laughs> yeah. gun, this air rifle, mate, and that's sort of how it started. I was sneaking around shooting rabbits and birds and all sorts of stuff. And I was only, a, I was only a young kid, you know. And um, I, I guess I just, I always had the drive. I remember reading hunting magazines just cover to cover. And and I'm at I'm at the age where I shouldn't you know I should be doing other stuff, but for some reason I was just I was mad keen into it, man. So um, I had a few mates that were into it, but they weren't really into the the serious hunting. Sort of my first step into big game hunting was my dad um, had a friend, uh, and he was a quite a well known pig hunter, you know, running dogs, catching boars, and stuff like that. So dad organised a um, a couple of hunts. So oh, I can't remember how old it was. It was pretty. I was pretty young, I remember, but I went on these hunts and, you know, we caught some pigs and, yeah, I thought this is this is a good way to spend my time. So, um, yeah, hunting for me has sort of always been there and it just, without having family that did it, I uh, I found other ways to get in amongst the, the hunting. So it basically just grew from there. What's your number one go-to, man? I guess not, a, not just when you were growing up, but, um, you know, now, I mean, what's your sort of, 
What's your sort of favourite game, man? What do you enjoy? Because I know there's a lot to hunt over there. What you got boars, you got deer. Still got a fantastic, you know, duck hunting or duck hunting season over there. There's, you know, multitude of yeah, rabbits. Obviously, you got goats over there. I follow a couple of guys on Instagram as well that you know hunting the hunting the goats over there as well. And man, a lot of game over there. Great hunting opportunities. Yeah, you're you're not wrong, man. I think we've got seven. We do seven different types of deer that uh, roam wild in the hills. Um, we've got we've got wild boar, we've got goats, we've got wild sheep, uh, all the small game. Um, yeah, so as far as hunting goes, there's plenty of things to actually get out there and target. Um, but for me, I don't know, man. I've always I've always really loved looking for stags, red stags. Something about it, man. And and in my guiding career, that's been pretty much a staple, red stags. But for some reason. I still really love it, eh? I still really love the red deer. So if I had to pick one, it would be red stags. Uh, number two would be rutting fallow bucks. I think, um, yeah, I think they're a highly underrated animal to hunt in the rut, um, especially bow hunting. So fallow bucks, close second to red stags, number one, man. Yeah, I see a lot of, when I've, I mean, a lot of, guys making videos including yourself as well and there seems to be i don't know is this just me i mean it depends on where you hunt in new zealand there's obviously a lot of most of the guys i see hunting hunting a lot of red stags a lot of red deer obviously and you don't see at least the ones that i'm seeing maybe i'm not looking in the right spots but yeah a fellow a fellow only sort of concentrated in certain areas in new zealand because the you know generally the videos i see a lot of people mainly hunting red deer well Red deer, basically, uh, they populate most of the country. Um, they're definitely the most widespread. Uh, fallow deer also are fairly well widespread throughout the country as well. So those two deer species are the most common you actually come across. But um, there's a lot more red deer hunting than there is any other deer hunting in New Zealand, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, generally, as a rule, if someone's going to go out for a deer, there's generally some good red deer hunting nearby. Yeah, right. Anyway, guys, quick break, and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Joe, what about, uh, you know, the, the humble small game? Rabbits, maybe a little bit bigger, you know, some boars, some goats, you know, that sort of thing? Or, nah, not your favourite, not your, not your go-tos? <laughs> Well, I definitely cut my teeth on rabbits, that's for sure. Rabbits and quails and things like that, you know, dating back to that air rifle, man. I was Anything that was in range, I was firing a pallet at it. So <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> yeah, rabbits were definitely on the cards. And then, uh, you know, like once I started into the, the pig hunting with my dad's friend, you know, all of a sudden I wanted my own dogs. And, and then um, there was a period in my life there where I had uh, a whole whole pile of hunting dogs. So I did a lot of boar hunting, which is always good fun. So um, yeah, man. I've I guess I've I've done I've done all that stuff. I've done uh, I've tried I've tried it all. 
And um, I don't know, it all led towards the guiding. So the guiding obviously takes up a lot of your time. And um, in New Zealand here, our season pretty much starts in February and it ends in a, around about August. So it's the first half of the year, basically. So we're traveling the country and, you know, depending on what type of animals we're hunting, it, depend, it sort of tells you where you're going to be for that um, that period of time. So often we're all over the countryside, all up and down, North Island, South Island. So to have a big team of dogs, was, it was sort of wasn't really working out for me. So I had to give up the pig hunting and focus more on the guiding. Yeah, and when you're doing the guiding, mate, do you um, is that sort of a you said you, you sort of seasons there, but is that other than that, is there a year round work? Is in you know guiding for anything else, or you can guide for deer all year round, or is there specific seasons regarding that too? Well, you can you can hunt all year round in New Zealand, but basically the the, the better seasons are during the raw, you know, the rut periods. So you start off in February, the stags are starting to get ready for the raw, which kicks off in March. Um, so right through from February to May, you've got your deer hunting, you get, you know, red stags, um, you've got elk, you've got uh, fallow deer, but then May comes around and, and you're starting to get into the tar, the tar start rutting. So you can sort of tick off, if you wanted to hunt your deer, you can tick off your deer before May. Um, you know, all of them start rutting apart from the whitetail and the rooster and the sandbar. Um, so come May, you hunt your alpine species, you hunt tar. You go into chamois, and then from there, if you want to carry on, then you can hunt your sandbar and your rooster, which start rutting after the tar and the, and the chamois season. So, yeah, it, it ends up being a roughly about six months' worth of, of quite exciting hunting. Um, and then after that, you come into the spring season where the, the stags start to drop their antlers, um, and obviously the hinds are going to start falling. So it's a good time to pick up a you know a spiker or something like that for, to fill the freezer if you're looking for some venison. Um, but basically, the summertime for me, I generally go back up to the far north and um, I tend to get into the fishing in the off season, do a lot of a lot of fishing up there. So and just wait for the hunting season to come around, basically. <laughs> Mate, sounds like a pretty good life if you ask me. <laughs> It's not too bad, mate. There's probably worse things I could be doing, but oh well. I I saw a couple of your videos too, and um, especially I presume this would be the hardest, but you can I'm probably sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, going out and hunting tar. Now I've seen where the tar hang out, and you know it seems cold, <laughs> very windy. Yeah, the conditions seem pretty tough, man. So is that one of the toughest to sort of you know get out there and I guess guide, film? Um, you know, the conditions look pretty harsh to me man to be honest yeah um so tar if anyone's listening they don't know what a tar is so tar from the himalayan mountains tar uh they're basically a type of goat uh that lives in high alpine conditions we're talking snow line very high uh mountain tops so um yeah a tar hunt generally is a pretty tough hunt. First of all, you've got to hike up to the top of the mountain if you can't helicopter up there. And then generally it's not a one-day hunt, you see. So it's on, often it's, it's a multi-day hunt. And you've got, you know, if you're camping up in the mountains, up in the snow, up in the ice, you need to have the right gear to survive up there, basically. We're talking, sometimes you can wake up and, and your, tent, your tent's got a big layer of snow on top. There's a fresh snow dump. There's a, there's a blizzard coming through. So... Mate, tar hunting can be pretty hectic at times. So, yeah, definitely, definitely is one of the tougher hunts. Probably, 
Yeah, no, I'd probably say it would be one of the definitely one of the tougher hunts New Zealand has to offer. Yeah, and I noticed, and maybe you can tell us about that a bit too, if you don't mind, as obviously there was a concerted effort to sort of reduce the population of Tara as well over in New Zealand. So is that sort of, you know, I know they had some, there were some organisations that tried to put a stop or at least, you know, get some input on, you know, culling tar from helicopters and stuff like that and trying, especially some parts of New Zealand. Yeah, so honestly, mate, it's that in itself is a really long story, but the short version is that... Um, Tar were gifted to New Zealand uh, 116 years ago to the date of this podcast. Um, they, they were gifted to us, and um, uh, the government uh, Department of Conservation, which looks after our wildlands, is, um, yeah, is, is trying to wipe them out in all national parks and, and certain areas in New Zealand. But um, all the hunters... The New Zealand Tar Foundation uh, wanting to get scientific evidence that there there should be a level where the tar are okay to stay. So if we can bring the tar numbers down to that level, we should be um, we should be able to manage the herd, and we should be able to keep the tar in our in our wild lands, and you know have it for recreation, have it for for food for people, and all that sort of stuff, rather than just wiping them out completely. But honestly, mate, there's a lot of there's a lot of information there, and it's a it's a whole podcast in itself. So <laughs> yeah, that's the short version. Yeah, I've seen seen a lot of people talking about it, and it's very interesting. And you know, um, w- when you are guiding anyway, what are you generally seeing in regards to when you are guiding people? Do people want to hunt more deer? Would you say getting big, good sized stags, or they love that uh, you know that interesting animal called the tar? Um, so New Zealand is definitely known for its red stags. You know, we've got we've got the best red stags in New Zealand, basically. So um, New Zealand is a destination for international guys to come over and hunt our red stags. Um, and then, yeah, second to that is, is the bull tar. I think um, for a substantial herd, we're the, we're the only other country in the world, apart from their homeland, that you can actually go and hunt them in the wild. In the wild. So... Um, yeah, tar definitely draw a lot of um, a lot of tourism to New Zealand. That's for sure. So to see them all wiped out, honestly, mate, it'd be it'd be a huge shame for, for that side of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. When, when I look at them, I said, "Man, this is a, this is a weird looking animal." <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so have you? Um, have you hunted them before? No, no, I haven't. But I want to come to New Zealand and do some hunting. As I, I was saying before the show, I've probably got to lose 15 to 20 kegs, mate, to get up those mountains, man. And, you know, I've already, during COVID, you know, I'm, I'm walking an hour a day, man. But, you know, I've got to start, you know, I said getting that pack on the back, man, and start actually, you know, actually working a bit harder, you know what I mean? Because I'm walking flat surfaces. And, you know, as soon as I hit those hills, I'm like, oh, man, this is hard. And I haven't even got a backpack on, so. Yeah, so the... A general, I'll just tell you, a general tar hunt, like last week I was actually hunting tar. Um, we were filming a filming a little mission there for a um, a bit of a series that's happening in New Zealand coming up. And um, we we had, the day before we were due to get up in the mountains, we had, had a huge snowstorm come through. So there was a ton of snow out there, right? And, um, and obviously we had this time frame, so we had to do it. So... We we hunted tar for three days and um, we were starting off the morning in negative seven degrees Celsius and we were we were hiking up up the mountains we were camping down low and, and hiking up to the tops each day so we were getting up pretty early to do this but 
hiking up through the snow. At points there, we we're in waist-deep snow, and we're getting to a nice ridgeline where we can overlook a whole basin or a valley, you know, maybe across to the other side of another mountain. And um, you're sitting there with your binoculars and all, and all your warm gear. You're sitting in snow. So, um, yeah, a, a tar hunt, man, if, like, if there's hunters out there that are, are wanting just like a bucket list hunt or a hunt that will really challenge them, a tar hunt is probably going to do that. And, and the places you go for tar, um, like scenery, you look around, it's just spectacular, man. You're up in the mountains, you're in the snow, you're looking across the bluffs and crags and, and areas that even if you wanted to, you couldn't get in amongst them. Um, so, yeah, tar hunting definitely is, is something that if you're looking for a challenge, you should look at doing a tar hunt, put it that way. Yeah, and speaking of that, you brought up something just extremely interesting there about how does, especially New Zealand weather, I mean, compared to probably Australia, it's uh, you know definitely a lot colder, you know, you've got a lot of higher mountains and stuff like that. How does, you know, when you're going on those tar hunt, do you have to specifically, you know, especially if you've got people coming from overseas, but not just that, two people from New Zealand as well, um, having to travel to those particular areas, is there types of, of or times where you think, oh, well, we need to get in there now because in, say, three to four days, there's going to be bad rain, or or a lot of snow is it is it weather dependent and if so how does weather affect those hunts yeah tar hunting definitely is weather dependent we're always looking at the weather forecast before we go in on a mission um you know you don't want to be stuck up in the mountains say you have a problem or um you could quite easily be stuck in the mountains if, if a bad weather system rolls through and you don't want to be stuck up there um if you're unprepared for it um, even if even if you needed a helicopter to come and get you, if you hit your EPIRB or something like that, and a helicopter um, was trying to get to you, often they can't get up there. You know the weather's too bad. So, a, a tar hunt or a chamois hunt, any even a even a deer hunt in the high alpine stuff is um, you didn't you have to be prepared for it, man. You have to be watching the weather. You have to be looking for your your weather windows. So um, yeah, we, whenever we go, we're always making sure that we've got a safe with a window and um, we can actually execute what we're, pl- what we're planning to do. You know, we can actually get up there and do the trip and hopefully find some animals in good weather um, without risking our lives kind of thing. So we're talking ice and snow and all, all the nasty stuff up there. Eh? So she can be um, pretty unforgiving at times, man. Yeah, I know. I've seen your videos and I thought, oh man, I can just imagine after like a three or four day hunt, you're like, oh, I just want to get back to a, you know, nice bed, nice warm shower, you know, some nice food, some nice uh, camp oven food or some nice stews or something like that. You had to keep uh, you warm, you know? No, nah, you're not wrong, man. You're definitely not wrong. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if people like, yeah, let's say someone listening to this show and they say, you know, I wouldn't mind going to hunt in New Zealand. I mean, how, how would you sell it to someone to say, mate, this is one of the best countries to go hunting in? Well, um, so yeah, put it this way: we can hunt all year round. We've got, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of things done. We've got a lot of different species. So um, I don't know. It's in my eyes, it's not that much of a hard sell, man. You know, it's just buying a ticket, and 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 obviously, there's two ways to do it. Um, you know, you could come over and do it yourself, or you can tee up with a guide or or an outfitter over here. Now, obviously, if you're doing it yourself, it's going to cost you less, but you, there's, a, there's no guarantees that you're going to end up in the right place or even be safe at doing what you're doing. So 
um, you know, we see a lot of guys coming over. They book book in with guides and outfitters, and and they're basically guaranteed that they're going to get into the zones. They're going to get into the animals. They're going to be safe doing what they're doing, going to the right areas, and and you know, don't put themselves somewhere where they shouldn't be. As far as selling New Zealand as a hunting destination, man, like I don't know, I bet you a lot of your listeners already know what New Zealand has to offer. So. Basically, man, if they're keen to come over here, they just need to book the tickets. Well, obviously, wait till COVID, this COVID finishes. But yeah, <laughs> it's just just a matter of booking tickets, man, and talking to some guides over here. Yeah, I think people, you know, people can get a bit complacent, especially hunters from countries where you know weather can be mild. I think you know it'd be better off to to get with someone, you know, initially, even first off, just to say, well. You know, do a guided hunt, you know, because people, you know, like in Australia, we tend to be, I mean, I see, I was watching one of those shows, you know, they're down on the beach here at Bondi, Bondi Beach here in Sydney, and, you know, you get people coming overseas from, whether it's different cultures or whatever, getting themselves in trouble in the water. So I'm sure they can easily get themselves in trouble in New Zealand, going to the right, uh, the wrong spots to hunt, going to spots where the weather's going to be bad, not looking at the weather, not knowing what to do and getting themselves in trouble. So I think it'd be the best option probably initially to, to you know, get an outfitter or get someone to guide you around they know where to go they know what the conditions are they've lived there they've grown up there they know what to do and you know it's going to keep you out of trouble last thing we need to do is people get themselves in trouble doing the wrong thing or even if they think they're not doing the wrong thing you know getting themselves in trouble and putting their lives on the line it's just not worth it yeah man now you're 100% right and it, you know it actually happens a lot there's there's quite often search and rescue efforts that go down but put it this way say you're you know for, say you're in Australia You've got 10 days, 10 days where you can go and do a hunt. Um, you know, there's probably a couple of days just to get over here and get into the area. Then you might have, you know, a certain number of days hunting and then you've got to, you've got to organize getting back to the airport and flying home. So you've only got a limited time frame. Um, it, it makes sense to go and, and hook up with someone that actually knows what they're doing and where to go and, how to get you onto those animals because you don't want to come over here and try to do your hunt without actually seeing any action because believe me, it happens a lot. So I don't know if it was me and I only had a certain amount of time, I'd want the, I'd want to capitalize and have the best chance of actually getting an animal. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta tee up with a bit of local, uh, local knowledge here, mate. Yeah, exactly. Guys, quick break and we'll be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Mate, what about if you had any recommendations? You know, um, you know any people that you think you know would be worthwhile? If people might as well do a bit of a plug on the show, I don't mind. Uh, you know, if there's any people that you would recommend, you know, if you want to come over for a hunt, who would you recommend? Oh shit, mate, put me on the spot. <laughs> no, um, you know, I've got a huge history with wildside hunting safaris. And I'm currently working with Venator Cardrona. So right there, there's two people, um, depending on what sort of what sort of um, hunt you're wanting to do. But first of all, have a look at both those guys. They both offer different different sort of scenarios. So um, yeah, both of them have their have their benefits, man. So exactly. check them out. Yeah, good stuff, mate. What about the 
you know, let's talk about, I mean, if you don't mind anyway, it's up to you. I mean, even your personal hunting, when you like to get out for a hunt, what about just some gear, rifles? What do you like shooting? You know, what about, you know, some, some scopes? What do you what do you go to for calibers and stuff like that? I mean, you know, when you go out for a deer hunt, I saw your, your recent video, which we'll talk a bit more about the YouTube stuff in a moment as well. But what do you like to hunt with, man? What do you go to, rifles, calibers, scopes, any, you know, particular gear that you like sort of thing? Or Yeah, man, well, I'll... Um... I'll fill you in on a couple of things. So generally, I don't do any hunting for my own personal self at all. Um, you know, all my hunting is done guiding clients or filming clients. Um, but as of this year, uh, the hunting season got cut short. I think we got roughly, oh, we didn't get far into it at all, man, to be honest. So once we come out of lockdown, we had no clients coming through. Uh, I had a bit of work on still, so it kept me going for a little while. But I've come to the point where, now is my time, and it's the only time I've had in I don't know how many years where I can actually go out and um, and enjoy what New Zealand has to offer and do do some great hunts and and just have a bit of fun for myself, man. So um, that's I guess we'll talk about it a bit later on. But currently, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a little tour of New Zealand hunting and and filming. Inter- interesting aspect there, but how does it? What's the question I'm trying to ask here? What's the difference between, you know, when you're out guiding someone on a hunt compared to you going out and hunting yourself? What do you think the differences are between, you know, I can imagine it's excellent, you know, watching people's faces and clients that come through the door and, you know, are successful on a hunt. And when they get that, you know, you've worked hard for three or four days and they get that shot on camera or, or that kill shot and they're, you know, may just, I can imagine that never gets old and over the moon, you know, when they're over the moon seeing, you know, the benefits of their hunt over three or four days come to fruition sort of thing. So what's the difference between you think personally hunting and, you know, guiding people around? Um, well, I really like to see um, someone have a successful hunt, man. That's sort of, that's what gets, I don't know, it's sort of what gets me going, man. Like uh, over the over the years guiding, I, I would rather see someone have a massive smile on their face over myself pulling the trigger. Yeah. I don't know, I, I've sort of neglected myself over the years and, and I'd rather see someone else enjoy it rather than me. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, the, the different, I can imagine, you know, having clients come in and seeing them succeed and, you know, that's quite rewarding, you know, someone, especially they're coming from, you know, the other side of the world, you know, the North Americas or the Europe's or something like that and getting people into New Zealand and, um, you know, getting them onto a hunt of the, an animal of the lifetime. I'm sure that, that never gets old and especially if you're able to catch it on camera too. Yeah, well, Often it's a bucket list thing for them. Often they've been waiting for years to get over here. You know, they might have saved up a lot of money to get here, or they've just they've just been waiting waiting in line for years. So often it's a it's quite a big deal for them to come over here. So for me to be a part of that, man, and and see the smile and see the happiness in in the guys or the girls when when they get their animal, yeah, that sort of that definitely uh, makes me happy. Uh, whether I'm guiding or whether I'm filming the hunt, you know, it both it gives me the same. That sort of gives me the passion to carry on. I guess that's what I actually really love to see. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. What about let's talk a bit about more of the, um, you know, you, you've segued from, you know, the guiding into you know filming and i've seen some of your videos mate bloody fantastic i urge everyone to jump on there and and check out his videos so i guess the first question is if people want to go and find the videos which is the most important thing and check it out and and how do they do that where where do they need to go 
Um, so there's a there's a YouTube channel actually. There's a couple of YouTube channels I have. Um, so it's under J E Wilds, which is uh, like I said earlier, that's sort of my stage name, J E Space Wilds. Uh, if they search that on YouTube, they'll be able to find my main hunting channel. Now, uh, I think I brought my first camera in 2007, and since then I've been, um, you know, I was just filming all our personal hunts as I was as I was growing up. Um, I'm 31 years old now, so you know, all my teenage years, late teenage years, we were we were filming hunts and and doing all sorts of stuff. So um, over the years, it's progressed. Probably in the last five five years or so, it's become quite serious, and and it's. Yeah, it's definitely the new path I'm going down rather than guiding on more filming. So um, outside of my work, like outside of the actual filming international clients, um, I still do a lot of my own personal films, like personal videos where I may be filming a, a good friend of mine or, you know, we're, we'll go and do a personal hunt. We'll go and do a hunt for ourselves and I'll film it and I'll put it onto my channel. So um that's always been happening in the background, uh, but in the last in the last little while since COVID, where I've got a bit more time on my hands, I've been really focusing on that that YouTube channel. So I've been actually going out and doing hunts for myself, you know, solo hunts. Uh, generally, me and my old dog, or you know, there might be another mate with us. Um, but I've been going out and filming these hunts and um, and uploading them to that channel as well. So. I don't know. I guess if someone searched my name on YouTube, went onto my channel, they're they're going to find two types of videos on there. There's the more uh, highly polished production style edits, you know, like a cinematic kind of edit, nice angles, nice camera, clean shots. Um, but lately, I've been having a lot of people ask me to do more of a behind the scenes feel, like a a vlog. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a vlog, but a vlog yeah. is like a personal yeah. behind the scenes kind of kind of way to film things so a lot of people have been asking me um you know we want to see more we want to see the camping we want to see just the ups and the downs and all that sort of stuff so in the last little while i've i've actually been traveling around doing these vlogs these hunting vlogs basically it's like a virtual hunt that people can click on they can start watching and they can see they can just see the hunt unfolding and see what i have to do and see how I do it and things like that, and and then obviously the end game where we you know we'll find an animal. Yeah, no, I was about to say too. I was just looking at the just doing a bit of yeah, recon before I started the show too. And but your last about five or six videos, maybe probably seven or eight videos, ten videos are just blown up. I mean, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand. I think you had some. You know, I saw the one on the kill shot, the, the six kill shots or whatever, like one point six million views, dude. It's crazy, man. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess right there it just goes to show if you if you if you put a bit of time into something, yeah, it's it's amazing what can happen. And so since since I haven't been actually filming clients and and working with guides and stuff or guiding myself, I've I've been able to focus on the YouTube man and and getting regular content out there and and some good content. Um, it really it really goes to show that there's a lot of people all over the world. You know. It's, it's not just New Zealand and Australia. It's all over the world that people are watching these videos, they're tuning in and and following me on these adventures. So, man, I'm, it, it's it's awesome to see and and the comments, the feedback. Like there's been in the last the last three videos I've uploaded, which have been on that virtual hunt style, you know, that vlog style. Um, the comments and the engagement, you know, that you guys are out there are all firing comments towards me and asking me questions and and um, 
it's just really cool to see. Everyone just seems to be getting right into it, man. The feedback I've been having on those last, especially those last three videos with the new style has been amazing. Yeah. And I remember when I saw, I don't know how I, I think I was just on YouTube. I was just typing in some stuff. And this is probably, probably before I started watching yours, I probably, you know, it was about a month, maybe, maybe eight weeks before, two months before I contacted you as well. And then I thought, she's this bloke could be, and then I always tend to do that sometimes. I always go, man, this is cool shit. I love this, you know? And then, and then I think I cut the most on the track. Oh, what am I doing? I should have probably already asked him for an interview by now. And then obviously when I searched your name and then I found out you, you were dating Catherine and then, you know, I said, oh, shit, I've had Catherine on the show before, I think probably three years ago, maybe something like that, two, two to two to three years ago. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is, you know, how, you know, this is crazy. How did this happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, yeah closer than I thought because I've interviewed Catherine before too so I thought this is bloody awesome and then obviously I contacted you and then I was just you know looking at more obviously I looked at all your videos anyway and then I thought oh it's building up mate and it's good to see you know your hard work sort of pay off but you know it's, I keep saying this to a lot of people in the in the past you know and when like same thing as podcasts like mine and and, and YouTube guys as well I said guys get behind them you know if, if they've got Patreons or they've got you know donation links I mean give to these guys I mean you know like it's not as you know it's not free to make this content so you've got to get out there you've got equipment you know support the people i mean you know that that are supporting you by providing friggin awesome content that you guys love you know it's not it's free but it's not free to make so get involved support these guys you know what i mean with a few bucks or or some ammunition or if you're a gun shop get involved contact these people no you're right man you're right it takes it takes a lot of time and effort to get these stuff this stuff filmed and edited, so um, any help we can get is is always good. So even even the small things like comment and and liking the video and commenting, man, that all that sort of stuff helps. Hey, so I think the way I'm going now is, um, you know, the international hunting scene is kind of quite cloudy whether the borders are going to open up or not. So I may be actually just focusing on that YouTube channel full time and uh, filming hunts. So the plan is I'll be doing a lot lot of regular uploads. Like there's a lot of stuff I've filmed lately that is still to go up. Um, I'm just in the process of, of working it to go up at the moment. So there's still I know eight to ten hunts to go up on that YouTube channel this year and then next year if the borders aren't open and, and I'm not guiding slash filming, um, there's a high chance that I'm gonna be travelling around the country and doing all the adventures, all the hunts that I would normally ta- be taking clients on. But in this, in regards to this, I'll be taking along the viewer for the view- for the YouTube video, man. That's sort of where where things are going for me at the moment. So it's yeah. quite, I don't know, it's quite cool to see. And it's, it's quite, to be honest, it's, it's quite exciting because I've never really, it's been that long since I've had this time to hunt for myself. It's, I, I sort of haven't really got my head around it yet, man, to be honest. Yep. Like I said, you know, guys, you got to get involved. I keep telling people, you know, like, you know, and I know the editing too, mate, you know, on videos and, and podcasts and things like that. There's a lot of, you know, people think it's, well, you know, like they listen to this show and they'll think, you know, well, yeah, he just interviewed him for an hour and that was it. And I said, well, you know, me and you were corresponding backwards and forwards and then, you know, we were just talking and then finding a bit more information and then, you know, all the things come together. I mean, there's time involved there. And as you know, with um, filming and videos, I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, like I always say to people, like when I've done a few videos, it's basically, you know, for every 
minute of video, you're looking at about an hour's worth of editing time. So if you see a 15-minute video, you know it's about 15 solid hours of, of editing. I mean, you know when you come back from a hunt, you've got to dump all the SD cards from your, your, you know, your cameras and your drones and just sorting out all the data. There's probably a couple of hours there just getting all that onto the computer, getting it backed up. And, you know, and I keep saying to people, like, you know, if you love this sort of stuff, do you, do you want Joe's videos or Jason's podcast to go away? Get involved, mate. You know, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily, if you can't afford to, you know, throw a few bucks, maybe it's, you know, sharing the content, leaving a comment, sharing it on YouTube, sharing it with your friends and family, um, getting them to watch it with your hunting mates. And, and that's what it's all about because I've seen way too many people, Joe, that get into this stuff, mate, and they do it for a year or two and then, Inevitably, I'm like, oh, fuck, where'd they go? And then I've contacted them. Hey, mate, I haven't seen any vids for a while. What's, what's, what, how are you? And, mate, it just wasn't worth their while anymore. Too, too difficult, too much work. I've got, they, they just want to go hunting without the pressures of videoing or podcasting or whatever it may be. No, you're right, man. Yeah, you're definitely right. And, um, you know, mo- most people work a nine to five job and, and to be able to do that sort of stuff, it's just quite tough, eh? So all the support that, uh, any of us can get the better, man, because I know there's a lot of people out there that really appreciate everything, you know, really appreciate your podcast, really appreciate videos like mine, you know, there's plenty of guys doing it, but any support we can get is um, is good support. So, yeah, we're always, um, we're always happy to put the videos out there for you guys to enjoy. So if you can help us out, it's even better, man. Yeah, right. Here we go. Curveball. Uh, guiding versus filming. Which one's better? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> uh, honestly, man, like it was always guiding and filming was always sort of, you know, it was, it was a hobby. It was on the side, you know, me and my mates were doing it. But now, man, to be honest, I I would rate filming over, over guiding now. I love guiding, but there's something about filming and I, I really, really love creating a video you know editing up a video um there's something about that it's, it's basically a piece of art in my eyes yeah so i really i just love it man so yeah man filming yeah. Hands down. And I, I know when you do that too and you come home eh, and you're looking at that footage and you think to yourself, man, like you've got so much B-roll, you've got, you know, the hunting, you've got maybe they've got an animal. How do you – and it's, you know what, I, mean, I think when people see your videos, they'll see, you know, your personality because at the end of the day, no one person, I think, you could give that same footage to 10 different editors that are good at editing, right? And I think that's where the story comes together, obviously, during the editing. And you have this footage. I could give it to 10 10 different people and say make me a video at that footage and i'll get 10 different edits from 10 different people and um that's crazy isn't it like it just it blows me away like you, an individual such as yourself or even someone else putting a spin and a story on that on that um on those videos you know on, on that content and it's when something comes together eh? Right? you just think oh, man, that could have come together 50 million different ways but this is awesome and here's the story and i always tell people when they do videos it's about it's not about the, with the gear yeah yeah it's about the gear somewhat to a certain extent but it's about the story man you got to have the story yeah you're right yeah you're definitely right so i think you as a creator you start to you start to evolve your own style so generally people watching your videos they sort of know know the style you're running um and that sort of goes back to what you just said, you know, you give the same piece of footage to 10 different guys, you're going to get 10 different edits. So everyone, everyone becomes their own. They they have their own style. They have their own, own way to do it. So 
I think that's kind of cool because that's that means that you can be unique out there. You know, YouTube's a big place, the podcast world's a big place, but if you've got your own style and doing things, then um, you can be different. You can stand out from the rest. Yeah, exactly. Nah, man, I, I totally agree. It's just like I can imagine when you're sitting there on the computer and say, man, what am I going to do with all this footage? How's this? How does this story take place? What should? I, how should I tackle it? What areas? You know, what shots do I need? And, you know, at, when you're out in the field and, and, you know, it's always good to, as they say, it's always good to have as much, uh, you know, content and B-roll as you possibly can, but it's always better having more than less, you know? <laughs> all right, guys, we're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Even Although they're back in business, the closure of gun shops in three states during the coronavirus pandemic was an attack on every shooter's right to go shooting. That's why the National Shooting Council has taken legal action so that it doesn't happen again. The NSC is also leading the fight to stop the reclassification of firearms and is providing important voting advice for every shooter in every state, territory and federal election coming up. That's why the NSC is the leading political organisation for shooters across Australia. So support its work by becoming a member today. For more information, go to nationalshooting.org.au. Mate, we're just talking about, I guess, the in a way, the, the future of videos. What are you? I mean, you've got, a, you've got a few videos coming up that you've got to edit. So what can people expect coming up and what do you want to do for the future? I know working on it, but I guess what's your plans looking forward, where to take the channel sort of thing? Yeah, so the future of 2020, um, I'm currently in the South Island, so I'm still down here in the mountains. Um, and I am planning to put out about eight to 10 episodes on that YouTube channel, the J.E. Wilds YouTube channel, in that new vlog virtual hunt style. So I guess if, if guys are wanting to know what to expect, there should be some pretty cool stuff come up on that channel. Um, like there's going to be some tar hunts, there's going to be some more deer hunts, uh, chamois. So And, and these are helicopter, these are walk-in trips, these are, there's going to be quite a variety of different hunts. Um, so that's that's basically the the plan for this year, man. And, and next year is a whole other beast. I can I can also imagine it's different too, eh? Compared to like when you're guiding someone and say you're filming for the company or yourself or whatever, it's so much different than a than a, like a self filmed hunt, isn't it? Because you know I guess you can be behind the camera. It's 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 not you hunting, you know. But when you, it's a whole different dimension, isn't it? When you sort of pull out the camera and say, well, I'm on my own. I can't. I've got to film myself. I've got to film the hunt. I've got to film the animal. Set up the camera. Shoot. Man, there's a lot involved in it, isn't there? No, there is, man. There's definitely there's a, it's a, a huge difference between the two. So, uh, say it's a, say we've got a, a client, say we've got a hunter come over from America, and you know he's looking for a tar or something, uh, and, I, and I'm there to film it. Uh, there'll be a guide with him, and basically my role is uh, just to film and capture that hunt from start to finish. Obviously, all the key moments and capture the emotion, capture capture the feeling of of the hunt itself. Um, so yeah, I can sort of focus on the hunt. I know what I, in my, in my mind, I know what I, what I want to capture and what I need to capture. Uh, I know what the, I know what the client's after. I know what he wants to see and what he wants to show his buddies when he gets back home. So, um, yeah, to film a hunt like that, it's, it's, I would say it's definitely a lot easier because I can sort of, I know what to expect. Um, but then for these solo, for my personal hunts, you know, now that, now that I'm actually getting out there and and hunting for myself, man. Like, um, well, we we talked a bit off here, but there's a there's a there's a, a mini series that I've just released on that YouTube channel. Uh, it's it's a two part series, and basically, me and my old dog, we 
we um we go for a pretty a pretty sweet hunt and um it's a it's a solo hunt we're very remote and um i had to carry all my camera gear uh, which is you know i'm normally doing that but then also i had like eight days worth of food i had all my survival gear all my all my camping gear my pack was my pack was freaking heavy so that in <laughs> itself was um yeah that sort of it was it was good man it was it was a whole different way of doing it and and then to film it in that in that new style and that sort of virtual hunt style was different because I guess I guess what people are used, people that know me know my know my filming and know my work um, they're used to like a cinematic kind of kind of look but these these new videos were more behind the scenes like people actually got to feel like they get to know me they they know you know I fill them in on my decisions on why I'm going down this ridge and why I'm stopping here to glass over here and and, and just why we're doing things. So um, I've had a number of comments, a lot of comments asking for, um, you know, good questions about about that. They want to see more of the hunt, you know, why I made these decisions. So instead of a cinematic flowing production, more of a behind the scenes, uh, it sort of feels like people really want to see that. People really want to see the behind the scenes, which is cool. And it's 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 something different for me to film. And so it's kind of like a refresher, basically. I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah. And what was it like? You weren't, as far as I'm aware, you weren't with anyone on that trip. So what's it like, you know, being out there for <laughs> that long? And, you know, I guess you don't really feel alone when you're sort of recording, you know you know what I mean? Yeah, I, um, I'm i kind of used to that sort of stuff. It's um, It definitely is... Uh, yeah, definitely it's different, but honestly, man, I don't I don't actually mind it. Like I knew I was out there enjoying it and um yeah, it's it's the it's the first time in ten years that I've actually shot shot my shot a stag for myself, you know. First time in ten years. So it's kind of a special thing for me, that partic- this particular video series we're talking about. So that that hunt there, you know, I'm, I was fairly remote. It took me three days to hike up into the into the mountains to get into this area. Uh, there's no one around me uh, for a very long long way. Um, it was good. It was good being in nature. Good being in the in in the forest. With, you know, all that sort of stuff. Just quite peaceful. So um, honestly, man, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's probably it's definitely a highlight hunt, if not uh, if not my top hunt. Ever, I think I really enjoyed that, and to capture that on video was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool, man. Like I, I can't say enough about all the all the people that are, that are dropping the feedback. Like it's been awesome to see. One guy that stands out in particular is I had a comment on there. It's a guy that's in a wheelchair. Um, I believe he's um, he broke his back and he, you know, paraplegic, uh, can't walk and he he can't hunt anymore for himself. So he commented on the video and he said. That he, how happy he was about it. That he could, he could basically go hunting through my video. He could live, live through my experience. Um, and that right there is exactly what I was trying to, you know, trying to create um, a, a place for people to actually go for a hunt with me when they may not be able to do it themselves, or they may not have the means to actually do it themselves. So. Right there is kind of where I'm trying to angle with this YouTube channel. Bring people along on the adventure with me. Yeah, totally agree, man. I mean, that's the same for me even, you know. Like, I live in Sydney, at the Western Sydney, and, 
you know, that's why most of us watch, uh, you know, regardless of circumstances or finances or, or illness. I mean, that's why we're all on there too, isn't it? To sort of live the experience and enjoy, you know, th- this platform for what it can offer. And, um, you know, that's why I watch it too. You know, I think, well, I can't hunt for three months or, you know, my closest hunting property might be two and a half, three hours away before I can even think about pulling a gun out of a case. So, you know, when I'm not hunting, I love watching videos. I like, you know, and I've, constantly looking and finding new things hence a couple of months ago finding yours etc and uh, I think that's the same for a lot of people just trying to you know live that experience and finding out well you know I can't get to New Zealand at this stage to hunt well I can follow this guy and you know having some excitement as well as watching him hunt as well and seeing what uh, New Zealand has to offer yeah no that's good man it's it's really good you feel that way and I think um, I think that's one thing that that I really want to make sure that all these future uploads that go on here for the you know the rest of the time I'm down here in the South Island and then and then next year, um, you can expect that um, that if you're watching one of those videos, it's gonna it's gonna feel like you're with me. I want to I want to basically bring the viewer along for the journey. So a virtual hunt, man. That's what it's gonna be. It's a virtual hunt. You're not just watching a hunting video. You're actually you're there with me. You're in the decisions. You're looking. You know. You're while I'm making up my mind and where I'm going to go. I'm I'm talking to you about it. Like these are our options. This is the one I think we should go on. Let's give it a go. And then yeah, you guys are going to be able to see how it all unfolds. So oh, yeah. it's something a bit different, man. So we'll see how it goes. But well, feedback is awesome. I've saw the numbers, mate. It's proving popular. The numbers don't lie. <laughs> no, nah, it seems like that, eh? And since since uploading those videos. Um, Man, my inboxes are just getting hammered. I'm, I'm just keeping up with the messages. Like I, I will always message someone back, reply to them, um, and it's it's getting to the point where there's quite a, there's quite a few to catch up on. So you say that now, yeah. but when you become more popular, that might be increasingly yeah. more difficult. Oh, let's hope um, let's hope I can always manage, mate. That's uh, you know I'm always keen to mingle with um, people that are enjoying my content, man. I, I'm happy as to talk to them. So. Whether it's through a YouTube comment or a or a DM or something like that on Instagram, um, yeah, man. If someone wants to reach out and ask me a question, just go for it. Yeah, let's talk about a bit of you know uh, uh, secrets from behind the scenes. I guess you might say. I mean, a lot of people. I can imagine you're probably hard on your gear, and I'm thinking. For, my first question was, shit. How do you keep batteries uh, <laughs> fully charged in sub alpine areas? Let's talk about a bit about cameras and 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 lenses and what sort of cameras people are using. You're using these days. I mean, I, I'm still going the traditional DSLR, but I'm even thinking, uh, you know, mirrorless. You know, these days is it? You know, it's the bit. It's all the rage now. So a bit of camera gear a lot some people will use you know point and shoot some people use phones some people use um you know proper yeah video cameras sort of thing but dslr seems to be or at least mirrorless seems to be the smaller compact you know way to go for these hunts let's talk a bit about gear man i reckon yeah so gear i'm i'm a bit of a um i love my gear eh? so i say gear whore would be the i'm a bit of a gear (laughs) whore you know what i mean well, I was going to say that, but then I wasn't sure if I was allowed nah, to say that on the podcast. <laughs> say whatever you want, man. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's all it's all good these days. Yeah. So, um, gear wise, I think, yeah, like as uh, I guess when you become a professional um, cameraman, you end up carrying around quite a bit of hefty camera gear. I think, um, you know, if I'm filming a client, I'm probably carrying around. Man, on a light day, it would be 10 kilos of camera gear. But 
majority I'm I'm probably looking at fifteen to twenty kilos of camera gear and then that's that's just the camera gear. My tripod I use alone is seven kilos and I know that because when I fly to America to go over there and do the stuff over there, seven kilos takes up a whole lot of my luggage. So yeah. my tripod is seven kilos. Uh, my main cam well I've I'm running two cameras. So for, for the Venator stuff I'm doing, the client filming, I'm running um, a Panasonic S1H, which is uh, it's a mirrorless camera, but it's designed for filmmaking. Um, if, someone's, if someone's wanting to know about it, they can Google it, Panasonic S1H. Uh, it's basically, it's a pretty epic piece of kit, man. Um, and then for everything else, uh, like my personal hunts and stuff like that, I'm, I'm, I'm actually running a GH5 with multiple lenses, Panasonic GH5, um, and then uh, GoPros and stuff, drones, obviously. But I, I've i had good good results with the Panasonic cameras, and, and I've looked into them all. I've actually, I've actually used a lot of the cameras and stuff. Uh, I've got friends that use all the different brands and stuff, so I've been around it all. But I, I personally like the Panasonic gear, so hence why I'm running a GH5 and an S1H. And both of those cameras are filming, you know, 4K, 60. Um, yeah, no, they're pretty, they're pretty sharp at what they do, man. So those probably are my main two cameras. Uh, yep. Just bought a new drone not long ago. Um, upgraded the old one. Well, I actually crashed the old one, but <laughs> I was <maybe>. thinking that. <laughs> Hang on, did he, did he crash? <laughs> hey, listen, I was on the same on a previous hunt too. I had my drone out there, and I had some problems with like the rear sensor. I got the DJI Mavic Air, so I know the two just came out, but I thought I still got 4K. So not that I even film in 4K these days because my DSLR, mine's about shit three, two and a half years old, the Canon 80D, and it's still big. And I thought, you know, I was going up the top of this hill, and I went in reverse, and I thought, nah, she'll be good, man. I'm high enough. And then all of a sudden, duck, duck, duck and it, it took a hit from a branch and then it sort of it luckily it didn't die it just it went, went down a bit like probably about a, two meters and then it was probably still about two meters above the ground and i'm like oh shit that's not you know that's not good oh i better okay head back up turn around look at where i'm going all right that's cool now then go back in reverse then when i came down i remember when i was checking out a few youtube videos they said oh if you get like even a nick in the in the blades make sure you replace them because otherwise it could just fail at any minute so when i brought it down i was like man literally there was a crack across the thickest part or the, the widest part, like halfway through it was broken through. And I thought, shit, how is this thing still flying? You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, oh, oh, hang on, let me just change. Anyway, I haven't changed them in a year that I've had it. So I thought, oh, well, I've got a, you know, another eight blades here. Let's just do a full refresh of all of them because, you know, last thing you want to do is be, you know, 50, 60, 80 metres up, you know, whatever, 20 metres even, it just falls out of the sky. Oh, man, I know. And, oh. It's a it's a heartbreaking feeling too, eh? Isn't it? I think. Um, oh, it's crazy. Like for, for my my experience, like my last drone, I had it for a long time. It was a Mavic a Mavic Pro, and I um you know I was flying that through, thing through gaps, the trees, and the mountains, up rivers, all like some pretty pretty cool stuff, some pretty crazy stuff. Never crashed it, and then I was filming uh, the most mundane sort of easy flight for a job, and um, I crashed it into a tree and destroyed it. So. Yeah, I was like, how does that work? I've done all this crazy <laughs> stuff and it survived, and then I do the most boringest, easiest flight and it dies. So I've actually just upgraded to the Mavic Air 2, which is what, what you were just sort of talking yeah, about. Yeah. But um, I just upgraded to that, man, and that's, um, yeah, I, I quite like it. it. It doesn't have a few features that my old drone had, but it's, um, it seems to have a very 
very nice camera. Um, so mm. yeah, I'm 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 quite happy with it. Eh? Mm. I'm, I'm quite happy with the, with the drone. It's quite compact. So yeah, yeah, that's my go-to drone at the moment. Yeah, even the even the Air Mavic Air, the first one. I mean, I, I do like the controller on the on the Mavic Air too. It is quite a lot better, I think, than the other one. But yeah, I'm still getting great shots with mine. And you know, I've kind of thought sometimes, oh, you know, should you go to full frame? But then sometimes I do a bit of rabbit pest control at like you know two, three, four hundred meters sort of thing. And you know, I need that sort of crop factor on like the APS-C or I know you know what's GH5 is uh, micro four thirds. So what's that crop? Maybe is it two? Is it or something like that? You know, mm, yeah. yeah. I, I need that extra, you know, 1.6 on like a, a on a 55 to 250 lens just to sort of get close enough. And then luckily the the old thing was the ADD. I've still got, you know, like a, which is still pretty good at distance, not in low light at night sort of thing. But, you know, it's got the you know, 3 to 10x digital zoom. But I normally if I just leave it on 3x, there's not much degradation in quality. So I can still get out to, you know, that, that range of, you know, having rabbits on cam at up to 500 metres and still doing a job. But that's the problem, man. Some of these newer bodies in the 4K, they don't have any digital zoom. So I'm like, oh, should I go to digi-scoping through a, you know, like a, a what do you call spotting scope or should I buy another lens? like a you know one 100 to 600 lens and man so much stuff to worry about you know oh that's right and and the thing is jason when you when you do decide to to buy something a couple of months down the track it's going to be replaced by something else anyway so i think you just gotta you gotta um <laughs> you gotta decide on what's going to be best value for buck um so i don't know man i'm like i'm i'm really happy with my gh5 um it's it's definitely done me well and a lot of my films on my YouTube channel are actually filmed by that. Um, my S1H is a pretty pricey camera. Uh, it's a full frame camera. It's very good. But to be honest, like I'm getting, I'm getting very similar results out of my GH5. Yeah, and I have been since COVID came out. There were a lot of companies, even including Canon, a couple of the mirrorless, you know, the the prosumer mirrorless lines and stuff like that. Were supposed to come out with some, you know, some new cams by now. But based on some of these, um, you know, uh, what do they call them? Where they get together for these um, filming, you know, uh, what, what what would you call them? Like you know, like gun shows, but for filming cameras and stuff like that. They were supposed to release yeah. the GH6 by now. I've been looking at that myself. Obviously, there's no details on it yet. But I'm like, man, start getting these cameras out guys like you're not going to be able to beat you could be middle of next year year after before covid's fully gone so we want some new cameras get them to us let's go you know yeah that's right and i think like i don't know what's happening with the gh6 but panasonic have released the s series so they got the s1r the s the s1 and the s1h s1h is dedicated for filming still takes amazing photos as well but it's more of a film camera uh, but they've just released an s s5 which is basically a GH5 but full frame so I'm actually fairly interested in that camera uh, yeah. my GH5 pack out so how does but that honestly, man there's so much stuff out there you can you know you can spend hours looking at camera gear yeah I know because I was, was going to say with the two like to see any what sort of lens are you running because I've seen some of your, the long range stuff in, on the tar and that and what's your what's your go when you're filming the tar because I've seen you know with full frame you don't get that crop factor so you don't get as much uh, you know zoom out of your lenses what's your go to on the zoom lens sort of thing when you're filming um, with the GH5, I'm basically carrying three lenses. Um, I've got a 25mm f1.7. I've got a 12-60 to f2.8. And then I've got a 100-400. to 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So those those lenses there basically do everything I want them to do, man. And um, and those I don't know. Most of the time, like most of the stuff I'm doing is filmed with my 12 to 60, apart from when I'm punching it on an animal, you know, when I'm zooming in on an animal. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of guys, a lot of guys, if they've seen any of my YouTube videos, they've probably noticed that um, on a kill shot, like say someone's lining up a, like for example, uh, three videos ago, there was a chamois, a chamois up, you know, we were hunting alpine, we found a chamois and... Um, yeah, basically the kill shot on that chamois, you can see the bullet flying through the air. And a lot of my videos, you can actually see the bullet, the the vapor trail. Well, it's actually a compression trail. You can see the compression trail flying through the air where that projectile is and when it actually impacts the animal. Now, the only reason I'm capturing that that compression trail is because I'm zoomed in on that animal over a space of, say, three to 400 meters. So there's a lot of distance between the animal and us. So that bullet, that compression trail is actually traveling a long way, but it looks like a short distance on the video. Mm. Um, and it's obviously filmed in 60 frames a second, 4K, so it's pretty high frame rate and very sharp. So that's how I'm capturing those compression trails, which, um, yeah, always people, they're always into those compression trails. Whenever you can see a vapor trail on a video of a bullet flying through the air, you know, there's something cool about that, man. Yeah, uh, totally agree, dude. Couldn't agree anymore. And, um, yeah, I was just thinking, man, imagine when you're up in the mountains, like, you know, filming tar. I mean, I can imagine it's hard on your equipment, keeping batteries charged and trying to have enough batteries with you to, you know, to maintain, you know, your camera gear on the hunt and obviously the cold weather, discharging batteries to a certain degree. It's... Yeah, and there's a lot that goes into it, dude. People, like I keep saying, man, like they might see a 15-minute video or a one-hour podcast, but that's not how – that's all the effort that's gone into it and the story and, you know, man, it's editing. I always say, man, we can get all the footage we like, but it's about the content, mate. It's about the story. It's about the editing, and um, you certainly do a good job of that, man. So if people want to check it out, they should go on your YouTube channel and throw some comments up, throw some support because, you know, we need people making content, mate. That's That's what this life's all about. I reckon. Oh, definitely, man. And if, especially if the travel's not happening, you know, if people can't get to where they want to go to hunt, then at least they can they can watch hunts that they want to be doing. So, I'd be really stoked to see some comments popping up on my YouTube channel, you know, from listeners, from listeners from this podcast, saying, you know, hey, Joe, we we listened to your podcast with Jace. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that sort of stuff. So, if you're listening and you're watching the videos, let me know. Let me know you're, you're watching the videos. Happy as. Yep. So, yep. I'll just little little tip, man. Like for the um, you talked about, you've talked about it a couple of times now with the the cold temperatures um, and batteries. Like obviously, for people that don't know, uh, the cold temperatures actually eat away at your energy stored at your batteries. Like the batteries can't hold that energy like they normally would on a warmer, more um, temperate day. So a cold weather day, generally a battery is going to go flat really quick. So what I've found in the past is I, I like to have all my batteries obviously fully charged before I go on my adventure. But um, So I'll keep batteries right up against my skin. So they'll be in like a, you know, like a shirt pocket that's underneath layers of jackets. So they're, they're getting all that, um, that body heat. So my batteries are staying at a at a reasonable temperature and not actually getting exposed to that cold weather. Um, in my in my pack, like say I'm doing a, a ten day walking trip somewhere into the mountains, I've got two um, big power banks 
and both those power banks are wrapped up in like an insulated uh, material. So they can't, the cold can't get to them as easy as it, as it could if I just had them lying out in maybe the top pocket or the front pocket of the bag. So really, if, if, if you want your batteries to last out in the, out in the wilderness, you've got to keep them insulated, keep them warm. And yeah, the best thing to do is, is keep them against your body. So body heat, man, that, that's an easy way to keep your batteries healthy. Yeah. Because eight days into your hunt, maybe you've finally found your animal, um, but you've got no battery power left, and and you were hoping to get it on video. You're going to be a bit, you're going to be spewing. So, yeah, you've got to sort of look after your batteries. And I've found there's a few things doing, a few things not to do, but body temperature is a huge tool for keeping your batteries healthy. Yeah, no, I remember, remember a guy years ago used to tell me to buy those, um, what would he, well, he actually gave me the tip when I was doing some astrophotography stuff. He said, grab those little, you know, the hand warmers, you know, the little packets, you know, you rip them open yeah, and they man. go to the air and he goes, get like something that's fairly, hasn't got much air in it, just a little bit. And he goes, he throws them in there and then he goes, every, he goes, I'll just buy like, he goes, 10 packs of them. He goes, we'll throw one in there, leave in there for eight hours. Once it cools off, then he throws another one in there. And then I'm like, that's not a bad idea, dude. You know, because I was thinking, I see a lot of people when I was doing some astro stuff, and it's really cold. Like how to not, you know, fog up the lens. And he he just goes, I just get a sock, and he puts it over the lens. Obviously not over the, you know, over the the front image, so it doesn't cover the image. And he goes, I just stick a couple of one uh, heat warmer underneath, and then one on top, and that heats up the lens, so you don't get any um, what would you call it any. Um, condensation on the lens is because especially yep. when you're facing upwards he goes you got shit falling down you don't want to get condensation he goes yeah lens hood works obviously as well but you know it's still going to get onto the lens because you're aiming up to the sky and he goes that just stops that keeps the lens a little bit warm and you don't get the thing i said that's a cool idea hey eh? like thanks for that tip you bastard you know <laughs> yeah 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 hand warmers man those little chemical hand warmers yep. are um yeah they're definitely a handy piece of kit to carry around like we um, last week for this tarn, we had I mean, it was ne- negative seven degrees in the mornings. Our, our gators, we were putting on our gators, and our gators were freezing solid. Like we were literally cracking our gators to bend them around our feet. <laughs> and so all of our all of our um, all of our gear and our packs was it was insulated. It was all it was all you know tucked away from that cold. And then obviously as the day warmed up, um, you know we could sort of expose it a bit more. But but you got to look after your batteries. Exactly. Very, very important. Not cheap too, mate. Um, last couple of questions to finish off, man. You know, any places, I guess, yeah, we'll talk about filming, but also personal hunting. I mean, anything um, bucket list species or countries, you know, you'd like to, to go and hunt in? Um, yeah, I think oh, it definitely is, man. Like um, right now, say, yeah, right now, Catherine and myself are, are meant to be in Canada. So we got off the job over there guiding um, in BC. And, um, yeah, we were due to fly out on the 25th of June, I think it was. And, yeah, come come back in October. So right now, man, I would be guiding for elk and, and joining in on, on hunts over there. So filming and guiding, that would have been amazing, man. Like, that would have been epic. So for me, I think bucketless hunts, bucketless filming trips, um, if I could go over and do the elk, like I've been really wanting to get over there and do do elk in Canada or America for a long time now. Um, so I've I've obviously been in amongst the elk over there, but I've never actually guided or filmed them through the bugle, so through their you know through their archery seasons. 
so that man, that is the bucket list hunt for me, elk. Yeah, man, there's some. I've even checked out your Instagram and seen some of the. I think it's red deer on some of your photos, and I'm like, man, those are like mutant deer. They're so big. <laughs> it's just like, what on earth, man? Like, what are they? Are they steroids in the in them food over there in the grass, or what's happening over there? You know? Nah, man. There's just there's there's good properties and there's bad properties. So yeah, we we hunt all over the country, obviously. So um, every now and again, we get to some properties that are um. Yeah, they've got some pretty good stags on there, man. So um, good genetics, good feed, and all that sort of stuff. Mate, final final story. Tell us about a story, man. Um, great day in your life that uh, you'd like to share with the listeners, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, <laughs> I think, uh, oh, man, there's, like, there's, there's definitely always one story that, that's going to stand out. And, um, yeah, it's about... It's a long story. I'll try to keep it short. But basically, um, Joe Fluidy, who's basically like a brother to me, um, him and I were trying to get the stag for quite a while. Well, he he had a couple of years on this particular stag previous. Um, It was on a property up in the North Island, and uh, it was just proving to be quite a difficult stag to get. Had a lot of history behind it. Um, Last year the two of us actually decided to team up and, and I was going to try and film Joe getting a stag. Now, this is an archery stag. This is a, a red stag, but with his bow. Um, so, yeah, this stag is a public land stag that ended up getting into one of the hunting properties, Wildside Hunting Safari's main North Island property. So, um, yeah, we we managed to keep an eye on it with game cameras and we were guiding you know, every day through the season up there. So every now and again, we'd see the stag and obviously it was just fueling Joe to want to, Joe Fluidy to want to get out there and have a crack at the stag. So um, anyway, me and Joe decided that, hey, why don't we try and film the hunt, film the adventure on the stag? And um, yeah, we, I think it was April, we, we were out there looking for the stag and it, it came evening, you know, the golden light, it was, all the birds were chirping. It was just one of those magic evenings. And it was in the roar. The stags were roaring, and we were we were hunting our way down through a basin, like an open basin that was surrounded by thick forest. And um, we had seen the stag there a couple of weeks previous, um, holding some hinds. So we wondered if he was still in the area. And um, anyway, we were we were sneaking down, you know, sitting on the high points, glassing down into the basin below, listening out, and then. Um, we ended up finding the stag, and he, he he was holding some hinds. He had a hind and a yearling, and um, and so we watched him for quite a while, and we were trying to make a game plan on how we were actually going to approach him. And um, so there's a few options, but we decided to take one route that sort of got us in there following a, a bit of a bush edge around, and then we ended up getting to a little small mound, and he was just on the other side of the mound, and then his females were out to the side. So we were sort of kind of separate, separating the two. And um, so we're sneaking in there. And then and then all of a sudden, I think one of the females starts coming in our direction. And then he sees it and he's like, oh, well, I better go over there and do a swing. So he, he, he sparks up and he's roaring and he's uh, chasing her around. And with, you know, within seconds, this stag that we're after, which we, we'd nicknamed Wild Boy, this stag 
ended up seven yards, or I think it might have been eight yards, right in front of us, man, like right in front of us. And Joe Fluity was that He got to full draw. The stag comes right up in front of us, and he actually let an arrow fly. It hit the stag, and it glanced off a bone, um, and we weren't sure just how how good the shot was at the time, but the stag runs off, and we're both like, what did that just even happen? You know, it was there's been years building up to this moment kind of thing. So it was a, it was a huge deal for us. Um, so we gave it a bit, we gave it a bit of time. And, and then, you know, once things had calmed down, we started blood tracking them and we're finding a little bit of blood here and there. And, um, um, but you know, with bow hunting, generally you want to see a lot of blood pretty quickly. We were not seeing a lot of blood. We were just seeing spots here and there. So, you know, the as you can imagine, the spirits were slowly dropping and we were thinking, oh, <laughs> this isn't looking good, man. And um, and so we tracked him for quite a while and and it, it got dark on us. So we came back first thing in the morning, me and Joe and Joe's dad, Gerald. And um, so Gerald, going back to the start of the podcast, Gerald's, um, who offered me the, the guiding job for the international stuff, early on in my career. So Gerald, you know, they're like family to me now. They're uh, Gerald got me to where I am basically. So anyway, we came back the next day and we carried on the search for for the stag, hoping that he was just, you know, he just passed away somewhere in the bush. But we searched and we searched and we searched and we never found them. So um as you can imagine for the rest of that week she was a pretty um pretty sad feeling camp. <laughs> and um so then I I I had uh, a couple of months where I was coming to the South Island and I was doing some work for Venator. Um, I came down here, did that, and then while I was down in the South Island, Joe Fluidy and, and Gerald messaged me, and they're like, "Man, this evening, just on dark, we saw Wild Boy. We saw Wild Boy come out. He came out of the bush and he started feeding, uh, fully healed up, not even limping, nothing. So." I couldn't believe it. I was like, you're freaking joking me. So um, anyway, they saw him. So once I'd finished in the South Island, I, I was heading back north to go back up to the coast. And obviously I got to go past, um, you know, their area. So I stopped in and I was there for a while. And, and we thought, man, why don't we go out and we have another crack at Wild Boy, see if we can find him, um, which is not an easy task to do in the area. But we thought, let's give it a go. So we did. We took the cameras, me and Joe, and, and Joe had a new bow and a new broadhead set up. He actually had um, some broadheads sent over by Nick from Ozcut, who's an Australian company. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Had him on the so show, Nick, yep, had him on the show. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Nick, Nick sent us over some broadheads for it, so um, we thought, oh, well, we tuned the bow, and we got the bow firing really well, and um, and anyway, we were ready. So so we set out in um, another evening hunt. You know, we set out sort of in mid-afternoon got out into the property got up into the hills and sort of started getting into the into the area and then um as the, as that evening feel was starting to set in we made ourselves into this made sure we were in the area where they had seen him you know that that couple of weeks previous and we were just you know we, there was no guarantees we were going to find a man but we were just putting ourselves in the areas where where they'd seen him and, and the likely sort of areas we set up and we were glassing over little grassy clearings and watching bush edges and you know all the, all the usual things you do to find a red deer. And um, so this is 
I think this is June now, so this is middle of winter, so the stags are mobbed up. The stags are finished rutting, they're all mobbed up, they're all mates again, and they're all um, feeding up. They're trying, to, they're trying to regain that condition they lost over the raw, over the rut. So um, anyway, it was, starting to, it was starting to get that time of night, you know, that time of night that all us hunters really enjoy that prime time. Um, I remember Joe looking across his belly, and I was actually filming. I was filming something behind us. I don't know. I was filming some trees or something boring, stuff like that. <laughs> and then Joe was like, Joe was like, bro, 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 bro. I remember looking back, and he's like fully amping. He's fully alert on something. So I, I quickly panned the camera around, and then turns out he'd seen Wild Boy. He'd seen Wild Boy come out on the on the other side of this clearing that we were watching over. So, you know, you can imagine – you can imagine how we were both feeling right now. We're like, yeah. oh, well, here we go, boys, get ready. So um, anyway, we, we sort of watched him for a while, and he was with another few stags. He was with, with um, some of, you know, some quite big stags, but he was he was healthy. He was not limping, nothing. Um, and they were just sort of feeding their way along this edge, this bush edge. So we made a game plan, and we ended up um, – Getting to us, getting to the spot, and you know we made it there without being seen, and and all that. Everything was looking good. So now we were thinking, all right, what are we going to do now? We're across the other side of the clearing. We can't go around behind them and come through the bush and sneak through the trees and shoot out the trees at them because the wind's bad. So the only option we had was to actually belly crawl all the way across this open clearing. And I think it, I think we paced it out afterwards the next day. And it was, uh, I think it was about 130 yards, so just over 100 meters. Um, so it was a fair belly crawl, but that was our only option. You know, the, the the daylight was coming to an end. There's a little bit of rain coming in, but we belly crawled all the way across this this open field, and it was it was just the right contour that we could stay hidden as we were crawling along. So um, anyway. We're, we're sneaking our way through and, and, you know, we could just see the tops of antlers at the other side of the clearing on the other side of this little brow. So we were, we were keeping an eye on the stags and um, we made it closer. I think we made it to like, um, I don't know, 80 yards and then we like put the range finder on them with glass and oh, yeah, they're still, everything's looking good. Okay, let's try and get to those next trees. And we barely crawled our way to those trees. And then we went to the next trees. So then all of a sudden, we're pretty close to these deer. We're real close. And um, I remember, like, this is the moment, you know, this is when the nerves are starting to kick in. This is like, you make a mistake, <laughs> you, you bug it. So, um, so I'm filming Joe. Joe's knocked, he's knocked up an arrow and he's getting ready. And, and we're hiding behind these two fairly decent-sized tree trunks. And the stags are just um, bedded. They're just bedded not that far ahead of us. And then... Um, Anyway, I think um, Joe's ranging and we're doing all sorts of stuff, but all of a sudden the stags stood up. I don't know if a little gust of wind flew in there or maybe they caught they caught the movement from us behind the tree. You know, maybe one of our elbows popped out the side of the tree or something. I don't know. But anyway, the stags stood up, and I remember Joe saying, they're standing up, they're standing up. So the camera's recording. Joe stands up. Joe's full draw. The stags actually trot. like They do a bit of a run, trot to the side, and then look back. So obviously they knew we were there, but they didn't know what we were or what was happening, but it was enough to spook them. So they ran and they stopped at, I think, 50 yards or 40 yards or something, and they stopped and turned around to look. And Joe was at full draw, and that's all he needed, man. He let the arrow fly, and that arrow sails for that stag and just cleans straight over the top of the back of the stag. And me and Joe are just like, 
You're joking me. <laughs> I've seen this like, video, where, I might add. I've seen this video. I've seen this I've video. I've seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah I've well, seen it, yeah. I'm, prob- I'm probably giving, if anyone's wanting to watch it, I'm probably giving away a bit of the story, mate. But, oh, well. But <laughs> anyway, um, so we're thinking he fully missed. Like, we, we were both adamant that arrow flew over the top of the stag. So we run over there. Oh, you know, we give it a bit of time, obviously. Joe cries a few times on the, on the ground, taking a little tantrum. <laughs> and then um, we get up and we, and we wander over there. Joe's just, I don't know, I feel the tension in the air. I feel like Joe could have just thrown his bow down the bush and just thought, bugger it, I'm leave that thing down there. So we get over there anyway, get over there to retrieve the arrow and fully expecting to pick it up, put it in the quiver and walk home with a you know drop lip. But we get to the arrow, man, and it is caked in blood. It is absolutely drenched in blood. Joe looks at me and he's, you know, you can imagine what he was like. So, um, anyway, it goes from being extremely bad to all of a sudden, like, what the heck just happened? This, you know, that arrow didn't pass over the stag. What we saw is that it was like a mind, uh, you know, like a trick to the eyes, man. That arrow, that arrow actually passed clean through the stag. So, um, so all of a sudden, we're like back into stealth mode. We're like whispering. We're like, all right, all right, this is serious. Um, and we could we saw the stags way across the other side of this other clearing that's sort of not far from us. We could actually see them there. They were wondering what the heck was going on. And then, um, anyway, to cut the story shorter, the darkness set in. You know, we 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 decided not to track the stag. We tracked them for a little while, but then we decided to pull pin because we were running very low on light. So we came back the next morning, Joe, Gerald, and myself, and we tracked the stag down, man. And we ended up finding him. And I would have to say in my whole hunting career, guiding and personal hunting and everything, it is it is definitely a standout hunt and for me to get that stag after all this time and, and to have that many ups and downs on the journey to get that stag. Um, I don't think I'll ever beat a hunt like that as far as a, a top hunt for myself, you know, like a, I oh, know, man. It was pretty emotional, hey, to be honest. It was freaking cool. It was so cool. When I was uh, watching that one too, even from the footage, and you're right, it just it does look like a sail over. It doesn't look like a hit whatsoever, does it? It just uh, who knows what happened, but it <laughs> it, it, no, it must have went deceiving. home. It's deceiving. I think like what we because you can see the lighted knock, the knocks flying, and but I don't know, man. I like, think it's the angle, it, man. I think it was the angle. It, yeah, it must be the angle, eh? Because yeah, it was it, it was a full pass through. So I think just the way it was, it was sitting at I think it was fifty yards. It's probably on the video. If anyone watches it, they'll find out. But I think it was a fifty yard shot. That arrow arcs a little bit. Like we've got it in slow motion. You can see the arrow flying, and the arrow arcs, and then just as it gets to the stag, maybe the stag's coloration sort of uh, interferes with the color of the arrow or something. I don't know. But it tricks the eye to, to think that the arrow's flying over its back when actually it drops straight down and it shoots through the pocket, full pass through, straight through the deer and out the other side and into the ground. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we weren't expecting that, man. To see that, it was just like, I don't, I don't know what it's like to win lottery, but that moment right there was like one of those moments. It was ridiculous, man. It was ridiculous. It was so <laughs> cool. So, like that, yeah, that's, that's cool you've seen the videos because yeah. there's, there's both those videos, the part one where he hits it, you know, where he shoots him the first time, but it's a, it's a, it's a bad shot in the end. It, it deflects off a bone. That's on there. 
and then obviously the part two when we get them. Both of those videos are on the YouTube channels. So if anyone's listening to this and and you know it sounds like they it sounds like the hunt they want to see, man, you can actually see that hunt. Yeah. You jump on the YouTube channel J U Wild. It's under um, I don't know what I've called I've, I don't know what I've called them now, but um, yeah, Wild Boy Part One and Two. But I think they're called something else. You'll you'll see them on the YouTube channel if you ever look through. It's just some they will be Joe Fluidy with a big stag with a bow kind of thing. Yeah, because um, I, I remember when uh, I think he went out with his the next day. He went out with his dad to have a look for it, and he eventually found it the next day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so in, in the part two, we did. We we went back the next day and we tracked him down and found him, man. So um, yeah, that was pretty cool. And that that stag got mounted. Uh, Pete Liversey, um, Wildlife Art Studio, he mounted him uh, for Joe. So he's on the wall, looking nice. Um, and that's a hunt that will never be forgotten, man. And we've got the stag on the wall as a trophy. We've got the two videos filmed in a cinematic sort of feel. Um, so, yeah, the memories, man, that's a, that is definitely a top hunt for us. I know, man, there's nothing better, isn't there, sometimes than a, you know, when a hunt, you know, sometimes disappointment comes and then you're like, oh, no, and then, but it actually, you know, it works out. It works out for, you know, the better. I think bow hunting, man, you love it, and you also hate it at times. <laughs> Sometimes when I first started hunting deer, I thought, shit, I can't even shoot these bloody things. I can't even find them, you know, or, <laughs> just, or wrong place, wrong time, wrong position. One, you know, I'm walking down and, you know, one's to the left of me that I haven't seen and it runs off or, you know, I'm sitting somewhere and it comes out behind me over my shoulder. I'm like, you're kidding. You're like, how could it possibly be have the worst luck in the world? And then... <laughs> I took five years to shoot, most people know this about me, I took five years to shoot a deer, and then all of a sudden, every trip bar one since 2016, I've shot a deer on every trip, and a lot of, you know, because I like to go with a lot of friends, we've got big groups, we've got no choice but to sort of hunt public land, because, you know, some farmers don't want 15 guys running around, or 10 guys running around on their property, so, which is pretty hard to, you know, get a deer sometimes on public land, unless you've got some tips or know-how, and I've pretty much got one on every trip, and I say, man, how does that even work, how can you you go for five is it am i learning new things you know <laughs> but i slowed things down i thought i slowed things down i sitting and waiting i think has been the most valuable lesson i could give anybody is find out where they want to be sit wait listen watch and learn because you know it's amazing what you'll see over three or three hours of between say five thirty in the morning and eight thirty nine a.m on what you're going to see, you'll see, like in Australia, we'll see foxes, wild dogs, wild cats, um, different bird life moving through, deer moving through, and it's just it's, it's an invaluable experience, I think. Oh, no, you, you did right, man. Patience, like the old saying, patience gets the deer, eh? Yeah. If you've got the patience to sit somewhere and overlook a nice area that's got it all, feed and everything, you're going to see some animals. And, and for me, like seeing all the different types of animals and stuff like that, that's... Uh, that's a huge part of why I'm out there doing it. You know, like you don't have to go and shoot everything, but to see all the animals just moving about, um, there's something special about that. Eh? So if anyone, if anyone's got the patience to sit there and, and just watch over an area with a good set of binoculars, um, yeah, generally they're going to, they're going to see something and they're going to be in for a good hunt rather than just barging around and, and hoping to, hoping to see something because most of the time the deer know you're coming, that you're just walking around too fast and too yeah. noisy. 
And I always tell people, it's funny when I'm there, I'm like, never th- any time a deer can come out. I don't know how many times I've been there for an hour, hour and a half going, oh, you know, I'm just, my mind's starting to wander on me and I've, I don't even have coverage. I'm on my phone looking at old photos of just whatever, you know, whatever's on my phone just to give me something to do, you know, maybe a little game. And then I've looked up, man, there's a deer 20 metres in front of me. I'm like, you've got to be shitty. How long was I looking at this phone? Like 30 seconds, a minute maybe, but without looking up. Like I've looked up, looked at the phone, looked up again, there's a deer standing in front of me. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, how does this, like, is this, po-? so again, never think they're not there because your luck can, yeah, can change like that. You know, click of a finger, your luck can change. So always be alert, always be ready for my tip and <laughs> don't look at your phone while you're trying to hunt, so. <laughs> Yeah, you know. man, definitely. Eh? They got to keep us on on our toes, I reckon. Yeah, if it was, too, yeah, as I said, if it was, you know, if it was easy to get deer, it wouldn't be called hunting, would it? You know, it'd be like fishing. You know, if it's not fishing, if you're getting them all the time, it'd be called catching. So, um, anyway, That's it's all right. good, man, mate. As I said, we've already gone through it a couple of times, anyway. But if people wanted to, uh, you know, check out your obviously your videos, I want to check out your Instagram. Not sure if you're on the Facebook. I tried to find you on there, but like your Je Wilds, but couldn't. So I'm not sure if you're on there. But how do they go about it if they want to um you know check out all that yeah so um the best way to find me is is on youtube and instagram i don't have facebook anymore um i'm most active on youtube and instagram so uh, anyone listening you can just search um je wild um and on on instagram it's the same so j.e.wild on instagram uh, that'll find me and um, yeah, man, you can you can reach out if anyone's got any questions. Like if they want to know um, know anything further um, and how they can make a start to get into the industry, or you know any, any further t- uh, any further questions about gear and stuff like that, um, I'm always happy to help out. So yeah, feel free to reach out. And and obviously, if you're listening to this and and you go from here to the YouTube channel. Make sure you drop some comments. I'm yes. super keen to hear how many viewers, how many listeners are going and then watching the videos. So that, that'll be quite a cool little thing to keep an eye on, I reckon. Yeah. See how many of you guys actually go through and watch the videos. So drop a comment. Tell us, tell us that you heard us on the podcast. And then, yeah, we'll start a conversation. It'd be awesome. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed the show. It was great having Joe on the show. So Joe Edlington joins me here from J.E. Wilds talking about hunting in New Zealand, guiding, filming. We talked a lot today. It's a very, very long show, but I think it's going to be very fantastic, and I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. So, Joe, mate, thanks for the t- uh, coming on the show. Really appreciate it. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Look forward to next time. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.